Hey, Lauren. Hi, Craig. Hey, before we get back on the hung train to talent acquisition enlightenment, support for this podcast is provided by Smart Recruiters, the modern talent acquisition suite for hiring success. Future-proof your talent acquisition with the next generation platform with everything you need to attract, select and hire the best talent. Did you know that 4,000 plus leading no. brands, yeah, 4,000 plus, like McDonald's, Nine Entertainment, LinkedIn and Visa trust smart recruiters to deliver hiring success with them on a local and global scale. So Tarpotters, visit smartrecruiters.com to take the first step on your path to hiring success. And don't forget to tell them that Tarpod sent you. Welcome to Tarpod, the podcast for everything talent acquisition and recruitment. We're informative, controversial and a little bit crazy. Now please join your hosts and industry leaders, Lauren Sharp and Craig Watson. I'm going to go down another rabbit hole here because we're all sitting back globally and watching the shit fight that is Brexit unfold. Right. <laughs> um, Ste- steady on before you start me on this, uh, Lauren, because you know, we probably need another several hours if you're going to go down the Brexit rat rabbit hole. I'm happy to trade in there. bloody hell is that going to affect the face of recruitment talent acquisition in the UK and then the knock-on into the European and global markets? It will definitely... Brexit has already... The Brexit conversation has already made it harder to recruit. Uh, for lots of reasons. I mean, being part of the European uh, labour market was a, was a significant reason why lots of companies actually located their offices in the UK, mm. Uh, mm. particularly these rapid growth tech companies, for instance. The access to European tech talent um, was, was a big part of it. I think having tech startup is essentially still my bread and butter, really, in, in London. So um, knowing the the technical teams and the composition of those technical teams, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that if it, if it went, the non-UK EU talent probably represents more than 60% of most tech teams in London, wow. if not more, because there's great developers out there. Yeah. Great oh, developers. There's some amazing talent in the Eastern Europe that are coming out. It's loads, yeah, loads of different territories. And actually, because London was attractive, it paid well, it had great opportunities, it had, you know, this uh, great geographical position as well in terms of time zones and so on. And it was by far the biggest financial capital as well as, the, uh, in many respects, kind of a corporate HQ than any other European city. It just drew a lot of that talent. So all of these great people came into the, to London in particular that um, now have questions, you know, significant questions why they should do that. The, the, the UK with Brexit, com- the Brexit conversation has basically been only able to present an ambiguous position to these people that might want to previously have, have come to us. So they'll end up going to Berlin or Amsterdam or to Lisbon. Yeah, I've heard Amsterdam, a lot of people are moving there. Yeah, and we're, we're losing people as well. You know, mm. people have relocated out uh, to, to those other countries uh, and other cities. Uh, the demand is equally high in those places and the, the living conditions and so on. For tech talent, they're typically fairly loca- location agnostic especially at a certain period of their careers. Mm -hmm. They build location agnostic products, typically. If you're a software developer, you're not Mm. thinking, oh, I'm built for the Australian market. No, you're building a global product, usually. That's the ambition. So they've always had an international globalized view. And of course, Brexit's a very localized nationalist uh, phenomenon. So do you think that, I know in the States a few years ago, we were looking at people who were doing the whole, like they'd be based out of 
their headquarters in say in, in Silicon Valley and that they could all work from home all over mm. the state. Well, do you think that sort of model is going to come out in Europe to sort of counteract the lack of talent being able to physically locate to the UK? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the responses will be to distribute the teams. But what will happen is that essentially the jobs will go uh, outside mm. of the UK. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the when you have an anti-immigrant uh, kind of posture, you're not only putting a blocker against the, the people you don't like, but you're also removing the jobs that these those people might have done. It's not a case that a local person would have necessarily just gone and mm. done that. There's going to be a job flight for technical people into Estonia. Why not put, why not put a tech team there? Yeah. Uh, why mm. not put a tech team in Lisbon? You know, um, Why not do that? Or, as you say, go the other way, why don't you do it remotely and those people can stay wherever the hell they are um, and do all of their work in a location of their choice. And then, you know, you'll lose the talent and the tax revenue and all that kind of stuff uh, into, into London. Mm. But maybe remote is the future in any case. So without being overly pessimistic about that, Brexit could trigger uh, an ex- it could, could be an accelerant to a trend that probably is already going to happen anyway, which is a more distributed workforce. So it's still quite confusing about what's actually going to happen oh still. No, um, no. When you know, working through, you, you talk to 10 people and they'll be split with, um, we're going to go, have an, we're having another referendum or yep. this will happen or this will happen or uh, no deal and all these sort of things. Are companies right now keeping their powder dry or are some jump the gun and starting to put plan B in place? Yeah, I mean, some companies have, have definitely left. Um, and they've relocated for these types of reasons because the insecurity is a big risk. I mean, what the, what the referendum has effectively done is inject a huge amount of risk for everybody running a business. And, you know, I would say most people that do run a business are, are very clear on that, or at least they're running, a, let's say, an international business, they're very yes. clear on that. People who don't run a business, they don't, they don't quite understand uh, why this may be problematic. Uh, but, for instance, if you're shipping manufacturing goods uh, around into Europe, then yeah, you've clearly got a huge problem. Um, or if you're an import-export, huge problem. Or if you're involved in, uh, even in tech world, where you know, are we going to be part of the, uh, the, the the data protection regs? Um, uh, what does it mean when someone might sue? The, you know, all these types of business, all these rules that the EU used to take care of for the UK. If we leave without any kind of agreement, uh, the UK will probably have to gr- replicate those rules right. very quickly in some way uh, uh, in order to cover uh, that huge legislative gap. And yeah, unnecessary risk in my view. I mean, very clear, I'm anti-Brexit, but um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a huge risk for, uh, for people running businesses then. What do you think will happen from here? I think, we'll prob- we'll, I think the UK will leave the EU for sure. Article 50 is the, is the thing that was, that was it's basically the notice yep. period. Right, so effectively the UK has resigned from the company. Um, what happens there? I mean, generally speaking, you can predict that guy's going to go. And even though uh, a lot of people are trying to uh, do their best to, to, to try and uh, change that path, uh, I think, uh, and they have my full support, I'm, I actually count myself mm. amongst those people, but the, the, the default positioning is that we're going to go. Um, right now, uh, just reading the runes a little bit, it seems like there's been some sort of agreements or in the offing, uh, where uh, Boris Johnson might be, might have made some concessions on the Irish border, for instance, mm-hmm. um, which satisfies uh, the EU 27, and but may not satisfy lots of members of his own party, and also maybe not uh, the Democratic Unionists as well. 
this is that we're getting into the minutiae of all of this. Um, but no one's going to be happy. Um, the bottom line, when you make a, a huge systematic break like this, it's going to be super painful. You know, when I'm speaking to my friends that did vote to leave, um, you know, I say to them, okay, transition costs. You know, Google that. Have you, have you ever thought about switching costs? Do you understand yeah. what that means? Uh, it, it was a question of uh, A to B. Uh, you need to travel from A to B. You don't instantly become uh, go from A to B. And that was totally undersold. No, no one really talked about the pain that's going to happen when you move, when you make a systematic break like this. Uh, yeah. It would be equivalent to a, an IT company a CEO suddenly deciding, okay, we're going to rip out our operating system and then just write our own. Yeah. Well, I think some of the analogies that you're using are really, really interesting. Like, you know, saying that the UK sort of have served notice to their employer or, or who they're working with and now going to go and work for themselves. But to work for yourself, you've got to set up your own internal processes Correct. or clients, mm. Correct. if you like. Well, you've got to set the infrastructure. You've got to yeah. set the business, right? You've got to, is you're that you going to counter offer? What's the... They've done some counter-offers, but they just haven't been listened to properly. No, I don't think the EU has counter-offered in particular. Um, I think they've, they've respected the, the notice and they've provided options. Um, and the options from the EU side haven't really changed. Yeah. Um, they've actually presented a suite of them. Say, look, this is what might happen. You can decide to revoke it. Uh, that's in, it's within the rules. You can decide to stay, so you can change your mind. That's totally fine. Um, and you can keep all of the stuff that you've got. Or if you definitely want to go, here are some options. Um, yeah. you know, mm. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. The problem we've got with the, uh, the Brexit position is that there's not an agreement on what those A, B, C, D, E's are or what, they, what, what is preferable. And there's also some fundamental incompatibilities. Boris Johnson was very famous when he said he wants his cake and eat it. Uh, that was his policy. And astonishingly enough, that has been the policy. Um, they wanted incompatible things. They wanted to, for instance, have frictionless trade, but then leave the single market. But if you leave the single market, certainly you're going to increase friction. So putting, um, putting it again into recruitment terms. They're going to have candidate short market over yeah. there, so all of those backpackers out there need to start getting into tech and get their holiday visa. Yeah. <laughs> but but if, you're, if you're looking at as the UK as, a, as someone who's given notice, mm -hmm. So in terms of their, their notice period, they're trying to negotiate entitlements that they probably weren't in the contract initially to exit with? Um, well, I don't think the UK is trying to get uh, more entitlements. They're just trying to actually stay effectively in the same position but not be employed. So it's like, okay, I've decided to resign, but you know what, I'm not vacating my desk. I'll and I'm freelance gonna, back to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still using the facilities and I want my door key. Yeah. You know, all that type Access of stuff. Access to the same client. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. They want exactly the same thing but not be an employee. And obviously the employer is going to say, look, in all intents and purposes, yeah, maybe, but you, you are now a security risk in the business because you're no longer bound by employee laws. We can't actually have you here because of, of that risk. Uh, a, a lot of those things are about, really about that sense of responsibility. Like if you're bound by the same rules, which is what the EU it wants from all of its members, as you do in a club and a, in a community, yeah. everyone has to be bound by the rules. Yep. What I think the Brits are saying is effectively, look, we don't want to be legally bound by the rules, but you know what, we're going to be, we're all right, you and me. Uh, of course, I'm not going to take the piss. That's basically the position. Mm. But as from a legal point of view, that's not tolerable. Mm. Yes. Uh, and if you're a CEO running a business and one of your employees said that to you, uh, one of your partners said that to you, forget employees, and said, look, Actually, I don't want to be bound by the rules of the, the, the setting up the company uh, that, that we agreed when we set up the company. Um, but you know what? I'm not going to break any of these things. I'm going to be all right, Jack. You wouldn't have that. 
you'd have to remove that person from the boardroom. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's clear. The risk is huge. Mm. So I think fundamentally Brexit wasn't a thought through. Everyone agrees that. It wasn't planned. It wasn't intended. It simply was a terrible timing uh, and an irresponsible decision. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that you have a fairly analytical mind? You know what, I, I'm going to hesitate to say yes to that because I don't do a self-analysis in a, yeah, in a, in a well, weird way. I've, I've been um, looking at a couple of your Facebook posts mm-hmm. recently well, while you're travelling, particularly around Australia since you've yep. been here. And Every um, piece of fauna or, or, or animal you see, you, you describe in a scientific species form. Yep. Um, every place you sort of set foot in, you give a brief history yep. about. Yep. Does, does your mind ever turn off and what do you do to relax? Right, great question. Um, Is that the anthropology coming out? No, you know what? <laughs> I'm, I actually, I would say I relax by doing Isn't that. that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- there's no real intent behind that in, se- in terms of, you know, agenda. But I, I find that certain things, I find things, I find interest in, in, in the mundane sometimes. You know, I wonder why that is and how, mm. it, how, how it's come to be this way. And, uh, and I think there's wonder everywhere where you look. Uh, you know, I never understood people who get bored easily because how you know the world is actually fascinating. Yeah, um, and, and it is because it triggered. Sorry, yesterday I read a post of yours on the exhibition buildings down the road here yeah. in Melbourne. The shed. The no, not the, not Jeff shed. The oh, old the exhibition old building, the, yeah, the, yeah. the real pretty one. Yeah. And you know, you talked about a moment in time in in Melbourne in the eighteen eighties and how it was you know perceived from from a and, and I thought you know I used to be a history teacher and it started triggering all these things like. The exhibition building was actually the first ever Parliament House in Australia because Melbourne was the capital, capital yeah. while they while they built Canberra. Well, Melbourne and it's was like, it actually the richest Southern Hemisphere city in the world during the gold rush period yeah. in the mid eighteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So all these things that you know you write that I suppose as locals we know, but we don't give credence to, and then you start thinking about memories and start adding little bits on. You know so what? It's very interesting. This, this is why um, this is this, this is why I admire the Aussies so much because you guys travel so much, and when you do travel, you really get the marrow out of it. And and I learned a little bit from that from the Aussie backpacker <laughs> <laughs> that turned up in London, right? And I, I just realised, wow, these people literally make it a mission to go and see every single European country whilst they're over here for two years. And I realised, wow, I haven't been to any of these. And and I took inspiration from that. And I th- I think sometimes you can get so used to your own environment your own comfort zone yeah and you stop thinking about the great things that are on your doorstep but um, when you do travel a little bit you, you get the opportunity to be a tourist and I think that's that's something we should treasure we should treasure the uh, opportunity to learn about the local environment and what that should teach you about what you can bring back home because you should also look at the mundane with the same kind of curiosity mm. yeah uh, that you did when you were a tourist yeah I often uh, treat my own city as a tourist and take myself Perfect. off to yeah, yeah. heritage homes and go off to museums and things like that because there's always something different to discover. There is and you know what when you do travel a little bit um, you, you'll find that all of how people live and move uh, and work they're, they're often the most interesting things about it for me like you know the tram system in Melbourne. I thought, wow, that's super interesting <laughs> because it's massive, it's so extensive. I think it's mm. the biggest tram system in the world. Um, and But that it affects the pulse of the city. It's very yeah. clear that it's a very different city to Sydney, for instance, or Perth. and all Yes. Because oh, yeah. transportation is a big part of how that's different. So I'm always interested, okay, first thing I got here was get a Mikey car, let's get on these trams and figure it out. And that's, you know, yeah, I never take taxis usually. It's like, because mm. that's, 
an efficiency I don't want to have necessarily on, in my life. I'd actually rather take longer and figure out how the locals do it. Um, That's part of the it, discovering the journey. Correct. And Absolutely. That's right. what, in immersing yourself in the local. I, I went to Spain one year for six months. Never been to Spain in my life. Right. For six weeks, sorry. And on day two, I had a phrase book from Lonely Planet, and I made it my mission that I had to speak in Spanish whenever I was doing day-to-day -day things. Yeah. And everyone went, oh, look, I do speak English. And I said, no, but I've got to learn. Yeah. So it's just trying to immerse yourself in that culture and so learn something different. Exactly, and it helps you. It just get, you get a richness out of it. You know, I don't want to be the type of person. It's like going you know, abroad and just eating your fish and chips or something. Oh, yeah. um, yes, it's your favorite meal, and yes, it's safe. Um, but the reason why you're traveling probably is because you want to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. So do something that's a little bit outside of your comfort zone. You've Speaking got to of getting outside of your comfort zone, um, when you're touched down in Perth... Yes. Um, uh, welcome, <laughs> welcome to Australia in 1983. Yeah. No, but what, I mean, you, you went straight to hospital. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, so I spent four hours in June Dulop uh, A and E. Um, how did you How did you find the the medical system in, in Australia? You, <laughs> you were trying to experience everything. <laughs> Honestly, it was amazing. Um, I was I was seeing really uh, firstly the how how you, how you set up the, the the emergency room. We should learn from that. You had people who were patients, and you had people who were uh, friends and family of. Um, and they were on different coloured seats, for instance. Like basically, if you need to be seen, you're in the red seats. And if you're, if you're just you know, uh, supporting the, the person in hospital, you're seeing on the grey seats. And I'm thinking straight away, if I'm a medical professional, I can see straight away how busy it is really. Um, you well, know, who I've got to do. Visual, isn't it? Exactly. So it's basic UX like that, amazing. Um, it also gives you the visual as well that uh, if something's going wrong with someone on a red seat, you know immediately to act. Right, right, and the, you, you're going to be alerted. And I was in some, some discomfort at the time, and people were saying, yep, we'll be with you very soon. And, uh, and you know, I, I think they would, the seating arrangements and the colour scheme helped with that, because yeah. the nurse was looking that direction and not looking at a sea of people. At the time, there wasn't a sea of people as it happens, but I can imagine on Friday night, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to be packed full of all kinds of people there. Mm. Uh, but you can see immediately who needs the attention with that very simple... Uh, a very simple, almost zero cost yeah. kind of way of doing and Stan it. Stan Ralph looked after you? He did, he did. Stan was great. Um, <laughs> I mean... Uh, we love him. Yeah, yeah, he's in Melbourne now actually. Yeah, so I saw him last night. Did he? Oh, amazing. Well, um, so in the next couple of days we're all going to catch up. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to seeing him tonight. He's, he, I spent the entire weekend with Stan and his kids. Uh, and he, by the way, I think uh, we were not meant to, his kids were not meant to be there, right? Um, we were meant to just have this lads weekend. Um, <laughs> and then I think... I think, you know, some sort of holiday snafu or whatever, and Stan messaged me and said, hey, look, do you mind if the boys are here? I said, of course not. Got on so well with his boys, man. Yeah. I mean, he got, he's got two amazing uh, sons, and we, we had a, a fantastic uh, couple of days. Did in you get out to Rottnest Island to see the quackers? I did, I did. Aren't um, they beautiful? Actually, I don't think they are beautiful. They're like rats. Um, yeah. I, I think they are. They've just got little personalities. I, I can understand why the original Dutch settlers called them rats, because they do look rat-like. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're cute because they don't move, and they're, they're happy to be with you, you know? Mm. Uh, and they, oh, they're very nonchalant in human in, in human uh, view and as you know as you mentioned earlier Craig I'm, I'm always interested in the flora and fauna in particular yeah. uh, especially in Australia because uh, everything is so different here mm. uh, in terms of the natural flora and fauna first thing I noticed actually I said to Stan is it was the trees 
uh, the trees were so different because the species wow. you get here you don't get at all you see a few london plane trees that were imported but most of the trees here were very unusual looking very strange and that was the first thing that struck me because in europe generally speaking you're going to get similar trees so i'm super interested in that um, of course the quokkas were there they were amazing saw some other great animals as well uh, saw a, a couple of skinks and bobtails uh, uh -huh. Saw a dugite, which I understand is quite a dangerous snake. Um, yeah. All of our snakes are dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize. I mean, it looked like quite a harmless animal to me. Um, Usually, the more harmless they look, the more poisonous yeah. they are. They smile That's at the, the nasty one smile at you. Yeah, yeah. Stan yeah. saw it crossing the road actually, and me and the boys actually just took off uh, on bikes after, after it. it. And I thought, <laughs> now looking back, having done some research about this animal, like we got way too close to it. But it was just on its way across the road and all the rest of it, and I got a decent video of them, so. And you're oh emceeing Wreckfest. That's right, yeah. What can we expect from you? From me, nothing at all. <laughs> That's um, it, you're uh, there to introduce. Yeah, 100%, I'm very clear. Master. I'm clear on what the role is, you know. Um, the, the speaker lineup that um, Andrew has put together is absolutely fantastic. It's, it, I would say it's certainly world-class. Mm. Uh, from international and also uh, na uh, local speakers as well. Um, and certainly the role of the MC is not to, to hog the mic. Uh, it's to, to make sure these people, the speakers are comfortable, the crowd is energized, and, and yeah. they're gonna get the full value from the day, which uh, I'm sure they're gonna get. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. It's yeah. gonna be a great day. It is, it's gonna be great. Mm. And um, I think that a lot of people are coming to see you, so you better give something. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've actually got a talk to do. So, I mean, in a strange way, I think, you know, I've, I'm probably going to have to end up introducing myself in a weird way because the, 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 I think I've got a talk in the, in, the, in the afternoon to give. So that would be my, my contribution to that. We can put our hands up and introduce him. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> I think Andrew's trying to keep us very far away from the stage. <laughs> yeah, get these two quarantined over yeah, that's here. That's actually, well, we're in our own room. Yeah, it's a separate, down the hall. separate yeah. place for you two. We do keep our mistakes in everything, so I think yeah. that's part of our odd charm, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> but we're really looking forward to it, mm. and I think that the listeners are going to be wrapped with what we've discussed today, and, and we're really thankful that you took the time to join us. Thank you so much. And we hope my pleasure. That, yeah, and we hope that in the future again we can talk and, and particularly I think uh, new emerging processes, technologies, you know, you're you're right at the pulse of that globally. Yeah. And people in Australia are, no disrespect, a little bit behind sometimes in where we're at globally. Mm. Um, so, you know, with your, your permission, we'd like to reach out to you a fair bit in the future and to discuss what's coming up and what people can expect. Yeah, we want your two cents worth. You can have my two cents worth and more, um, but I will put a caveat to that and say that almost every place I go, everyone feels the same way um, <laughs> and they all feel that someone else is doing it better. Um, and I tell you that's not the case. I think, generally speaking, there's universal challenges um, in every location you go to. Um, there's brilliant recruiters and brilliant businesses that do recruitment in every place I've been to. And I don't think uh, Australia uh, needs to think of itself as being particularly behind. I think maybe we need to shed that a little bit. And hopefully with Recruiting Brain Food spreading that global yeah. message, uh, at the same time, everyone has got access to the same stuff. There's really no reason for anybody to feel as if anybody's doing it better. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us. We really have appreciated it. It's been wonderful. It's been a blast. Loved it. <laughs> and, a, and a big shout out to our supporters, Video My Job 
and smart recruiters. Um, we're loving working with you both and hope it long continues. Yes. Look, a big thanks again to our sponsor, Smart Recruiters. They're the modern talent acquisition suite for hiring success and have helped companies all over the world hire better talent faster. If you haven't checked them out yet, you can still do so by visiting smartrecruiters.com. Take the first step towards hiring success and don't forget to tell them that we sent you. So that's a goodbye from Lauren. And a goodbye from Craig. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tarpod. Please don't forget to subscribe and look out for upcoming podcasts. That's it. Done. Perfect. Thank you. Oh, that was fantastic. Very welcome. Thank you. That was a great chat. Thanks, guys. <laughs>